Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 190. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. I think right here at the top of the show, I want to make a little public service announcement. And for the moment, I'm really just talking to you people with kids. Or, well... Or maybe I'm talking to you people who don't have kids. Uh, you know what? I'm talking to everybody right now. So here it is. Here it is. Children are awful. They're, they're terrible human beings. I probably should explain. Henry, I've mentioned Henry from time to time. He's been on the show a bunch. Great kid, love him. Today, I got out this week's game. Spoiler, Gorf. Never played it before. Get out and start playing it. Henry's sitting nearby uh, with his headphones on, probably watching something he shouldn't on his tablet. And I start playing this game, and it attracts his attention. And I get done, and he comes over, and he's like, Can I try that? I want to beat your score. And he sits down, and he does. And if that isn't bad enough, you know, he never played it before either. And he beats me first time out and if that isn't bad enough i said hey do you want to be on the show this is the game i'm doing for the podcast this week and as he's putting his headphones back on he's like no i just wanted to beat you and then he goes back into headphone land so yeah children are terrible if you want to have your ego punctured if you want to have your you know sense of self pounded into little tiny pieces. Go have some kids. All right, let's move on before I start weeping uncontrollably. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Over there on the Rocket Man Mad Bank's mission to prove the flat Earth page on Facebook. The September 6th post was, It's our 100th post today. Here's Waldo from the film sharing a stressful moment of rescuing your friend from a dangerous armed steam rocket. A lot of people are asking if they watch the film with their kids. Of course, the film is definitely family-friendly if you can endure a few F-bombs. This quote has some F-bombs in it. I will edit it somewhat, not knowing exactly who's listening today. Probably not the children. I realize because they've all beaten their parents at the games and have wandered away, leaving you parents to uh, sit glumly and listen to this podcast. So, here's the quote from Waldo Stakes. Effin, give me a effin break, would you? I'm effin, getting you out of a effin armed rocket. All right? The post, post before that from September 4th was another reference to the film, the intense moment in the film where Waldo Stakes and Patrick Marchese moved the homemade stepladder platform away from the rocket. It's very cool. It is an impressive-looking picture. See? Ooh, that's what I imagine you're doing in the back row there. There must not have been a launch, as we were promised, within the last couple of weeks, because I haven't found anything that talks about it. They're really just plugging the movie right now. YouTube, by the way, has a video of a video from Noise TV and Inside Edition. Man out to prove the world is flat. Trash is homemade rocket. If you want to watch that, uh, it is impressive. You know, I have to keep pointing out that as weird as I think this whole thing is. I mean, the dude did build a rocket and shoot himself up in the air with it. 
Can't say that I've ever done that. Let's check in with how the GoFundMe campaign is working out. Alright, we've gotten some donations since last week. By we, I mean Mad Mike Hughes, not me. Mad Mike Hughes Space Launch. On a goal of 2.5 million, they have raised, as of this recording, $140, which I think is up like 50 bucks from last time. Space launch to the edge of space, 62.8 miles, the Carmen line. A balloon will carry the craft and myself up 20 to 22 miles, then the hydrogen peroxide rocket will ignite and propel me the remaining distance, start to finish, two and a half hours. They've had two $50 donations and two $20 do donations. So there you go. If you care to donate, Mad Mag's got a GoFundMe page. No recent launches, though. He's got the movie. I still haven't watched it. My streak of not watching Mad Mike Hughes in a movie continues, so I'm pretty proud of myself for that. All right. Well, as if a hydrogen peroxide rocket were affixed to my person, I will now propel myself out of this segment of the show. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Not really any news to report this week. Uh, just thought I'd mention a couple things that I saw that were interesting to me. One Atari-related and one not. Regular listeners will know that I am, along with being an Atari fan, a Peanuts fan, a Doctor Who fan, I am a Muppet fan. Jim Henson was a passionate, creative, visionary entertainer who did, obviously, a lot of puppetry. And that's what he was known for. And that's what he, excuse me, that's what he was really good at. But he always wanted to do, to stretch beyond puppetry. He didn't, frankly, succeed a whole lot for various reasons, largely the pressures of an industry that saw him as a puppetry person, as good as he was. Um, it was a bit of a curse because that sort of boxed him in a little bit. Uh, it was a great box, and he was really good at being in that box, but it sort of limited him in being able to get other things done. One of the things that he wanted to get done was a movie script that he spent, according to his daughter Lisa, like a decade over the 60s and 70s, writing a script for a film for a film called The Tale of Sand. Lisa Henson has been talking about this recently. Lisa is the CEO of the Henson Company, and she is indicating that there may be plans in the works to do a The Tale of Sand movie. Henson is on people's minds right now, of course, because of the new Dark Crystal prequel series, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, that just debuted on Netflix as much of a Muppet fan as I am, I never really got into the Dark Crystal or Labyrinth. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've even seen Labyrinth. I think I might have watched it as a kid. Dark Crystal, I've tried to watch a few times over the years, and I just can't do it. There's something about it that I, I just can't stick with it. I appreciate it, and I respect the uh, effort that went into making it, but I, it's just not for me. So Henson wrote this script, spent 10 years working on it. Lisa Henson says she was never really aware of it until recently. Henson wrote this with Jerry Jewell. No puppets, live action, high concept fantasy piece. Several years ago in 2011, it was adapted as a graphic novel, which I became aware of at that time. I don't think I ever got it. So I've not actually seen the graphic novel, but I know it's out there. And yeah, Henson 
Lisa Henson says that they've been developing a project, developing the screenplay as a feature film. Probably, quote, the, single, the singularly biggest project that Jim wrote that never saw the light of day. According to the Amazon description of the graphic novel, A Tale of Sand follows scruffy everyman Mac, who wakes up in an unfamiliar town and is chased across the desert of the American Southwest by all manner of man and beast of unimaginable proportions. So yeah, I'm curious what that movie would be like, just based on that brief description. I do still intend to read this graphic novel. Uh, oh, hey, you can get a Jim Henson F Funko Pop. That's kind of cool. Sorry, once again, I'm recording late at night, uh, so I'm easily distracted. The Muppets and Jim Henson, of course, have nothing to do with Atari, but it's just another thing I'm interested in, so I thought I would share that. If you have any thoughts about The Muppets, or, or A Tale of Sand, or graphic novels, or movies, what the hell, any of those things, let me know. A little closer to the Atari home, I also saw a review of a new Atari-related book. The Nintendojo.com had a write-up about the game console, a photographic history from Atari to Xbox, a comprehensive pictorial journey through the history of video game consoles. This article was posted September 1st, 2019. The book is by Evan Amos, who this article says might be one of the most dedicated video game fans of all time. In the book that I just mentioned, he reveals that his passion for writing about gaming har hardware stemmed from his love of editing Wikipedia pages about them, irked by the low-quality images that accompanied these articles. He's a hobbyist photographer and decided to start taking his own snapshots and began uploading them to Wikipedia. And since Wikipedia doesn't allow the use of images that aren't royalty-free, he had to find the consoles in the wild to get his pics. Amos started crowdfunding in order to get rarer and rarer, more obscure pieces of hardware. And eventually he just had so much stuff, it, you know, sort of burst the seams of a Wikipedia article, and he decided to make it into a book. The bulk of the energy is in the pictures and capturing the forms of the various consoles featured throughout. The value here isn't just the chance to see classics like uh, SNES and PlayStation on full display, but, as well, but also the oddities that many people likely e never even knew existed. A Sega Genesis and all its pitchback glory is great, but how many people have ever set eyes on an Atari Mira? So yeah, if you're into the hardware and the art, I guess, of the hardware, you know, not like cover art or images from games, but the, the physical consoles that play the games, if you're into that sort of thing, that's probably an awesome book. And I like the idea. I've said this on the Penis Podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, dropping monthly on the 15th. Check it out. Um, but as I've said over there... This decades-old property, in that case Peanuts, or in this case Atari, when new stuff is coming out, that makes me happy, because that means it's still a relevant thing, and will continue to be relevant for years to come. So that's very cool. Alright, well enough of that. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... Hi, I'm John Madden. And these guys at CBS Video Games have a terrific free offer that'll really jolt you joystick jocks. They've come up with a game that's so challenging, they've named it after me, Madness. They don't dare sell it, but you can get it free. Here's how. Buy the two exciting games, Wizard of War and Gorp, and they'll send you Madness free. Now take it from a guy who knows a tough challenge when he sees one, or three in this case. Wizard of War is tough. Gorp is tough. They'll have you on the edge of your seat and keep you there. But Madness will psych you out completely, and it's free. Just buy Wizard and Gorf, send in the fun voucher from each box with your name and address and your cash receipt, 
and we'll send you madness free. And when you get it, you're really going to get it. I want it! Where'd he come from? That's right, we're playing Wizard of War. Oops, sorry. We're playing Madness. Damn it. I mean, we're playing Gorf. Third time's the charm. Also, I got my Gorf and I got my Wizard of War so I can get my copy of Madness. Woohoo! Suck it, all you jealous people. Wait, I've just been handed a note. Wait, that offer was 37 years old? John Madden is possibly dead? Note, I don't actually know if John Madden's dead or not. According to Snopes, in 2016 there was a John Madden death hoax. Apparently there was a rumor that he was dead, and he was not. Well, now it's 2019. Is he dead? Or is he not dead? It's like that old game. Dead, not dead. I guess not. The internet doesn't seem to be telling me that he's dead. Alright, so it looks like John Madden's not dead. So, my apologies for insinuating that he was. But you know what this means. I can still get my copy of Madness. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. This week's game is... Gorf from CBS Video Games, 1982. Let's begin by talking about what this game is not. This game is not Dwarf on Golf, the 1987 comedy film starring Tim Conway, the first in a series of eight films using the Dwarf sporting theme, in which Tim Conway walks around on his knees, apparently, so he looks like a dude with really, really, really short legs. I guess it was funny? I don't know, but we don't have to figure that out, because this game is not Dwarf. This game is also not Lieutenant Worf from Star Trek The Next Generation. Worf, son of Moog, was the first Klingon, of course, we all know, to serve in Starfleet, and was the security chief aboard the Enterprise in Star Trek The Next Generation, and later was a regular character on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, was in a bunch of Star Trek movies. I think Wikipedia said that he was the Star Trek character who appeared in more Star Trek things than anybody else. And yet, in the last 30 years, has never been able to convince anyone to commit to a Worf spin-off TV series. Which is okay, because this game, not Worf, not Dorf, this game is Gorf. Are we clear on this? Alright, Gorf uses the joystick. It does not appear from the manual that the difficulty settings mean one whit or lick. Whatever you want them to mean, which means that they don't mean anything, that's what they mean. Message from Interstellar Space Force Command. Space Cadet. By the time you read this communique, we of the Interstellar Space Force Command will have been destroyed. The evil Gorfian Empire has launched an all-out attack. You are Earth's last hope. Well, we're screwed then, I think. Your assignment is to repel the invasion and launch counterattack. You know what? I think you should have assigned the space cadet to that repelling the invasion thing. Maybe a little bit before you got wiped out. Just saying. You will engage various hostile spacecraft as you journey toward a dramatic confrontation with the enemy flagship. You will be rewarded for your success with promotions in rank and praise from a grateful planet. You all just got destroyed. Who's going to do all that? Anyway. But you must act quickly, space cadet. Brace yourself, brief yourself on the Gorfian robot armada and then attack before it's too late. Message ended. The object of Gorf is to accumulate points. Duh. By destroying the various types of any spa enemy spacecraft you will encounter as you attempt to complete a variety of space missions. You begin each game with a fleet of five fighters. The only uh, only one fighter may, be f may fire upon the enemy at a time. 
The number at the bottom of your screen below the score indicates how many of your fighters are left. As I said, we're using the joystick for this one. You maneuver your fighter back and forth along the screen. You hold the joystick with the red firing button to your upper left toward the screen. To fire the laser, press the button, press down on the red button. You have an unlimited supply of ammunition. Firing a shot causes a previously discharged bullet to disintegrate if it hasn't yet made contact, which is really annoying. You'll be awarded one extra fighter for every 10,000 points. There are basically four missions. Astro battles, in which you have to defend Earth from the horde of advancing gorfs and droids, which descend in columns formation, because if we've learned anything from world history, it's that attacking each other in rows so that you can pick each other off one by one in a straight line is really super effective. Everyone from the Spartans to the British soldiers have tried that, and it's gone swell, except for all the mass dying. But anyway, that's mission one. It's basically Space Invaders. So picture Space Invaders, and you've pretty much got what mission one is. Mission two, laser attack. This orbital zone is the Gorfian Empire's first line of defense against your counterattack. You must destroy the anti-particle laser ship while avoiding the deadly beam. The laser ship is protected by three kamikaze invaders and a flying gorf. The kamikaze invaders will each continuously try to ram into you as you attempt to blast them all. If the laser ship is blown up before all the kamikazes and the gorf are destroyed, a new laser ship will take its place within four seconds. This section, this mission looks a little bit like Galaxian, but not as good. I think that's the right name I'm thinking of. Mission three, space warp. You're getting closer to the enemy flagship. Sensing your presence, it generates an eerie space web which release Gorfian, releases Gorfian attackers firing sub-quark, which I doubt is really a thing. I don't know, any particle physicists out there who can tell me if a sub-quark is a thing? But these guys are unleashing sub-quark torpedoes. Attackers are released one at a time and fly in a spiral pattern. Each one is a different color and will continue to attack until destroyed by a blast of your laser. This level is really kind of eerie, because yeah, you, you just got this uh, eerie space web, which just kind of floats at the top of the screen, and then every once in a while something pops out of it and starts spiraling at you. It's kind of creepy and weird, actually. When you, just, when you succeed in destroying all five attackers, you'll be ready for your next and most challenging mission. Mission four, flagship. Basically, this one is just the big climatic scene in Star Wars, with Luke trying to destroy the Death Star by shooting a torpedo into its ventilator shaft. That's basically this mission. To destroy the Gorfian flagship and earn the right to work toward your next promotion, you must score a direct hit in the flagship's internal power reactor vent. In order to get a clear shot at this difficult target, you must also avoid the heat-seeking tracking missiles being launched in your direction. Following a successful hit, a violent neutronium explosion will appear in dazzling colors the flagship disintegrates. You are now a space captain and will repeat the sequence of missions fighting against progressively faster and fa nastier robots of the Gorfian Empire. I managed to do this while I was practicing the game earlier today and I gestured at Henry still, you know, ensconced in his headphone world and I'm trying to show him, hey, I did it, and he just kind of shrugged. I'm telling you, man, kids are awful. End of the game. The game ends when all of your interstellar space fighters have been destroyed by the robot warriors of the Gorfian Empire. Then why are you going to get your commendation from the destroyed planet, wherever that dude in the final message promised you? If you've lost all your guys, how does that work? 
It's like when, uh, you know, grandma offers you chocolate chip cookies for mowing the lawn. And then you, you get out there and you mow the thing and you go inside and turns out grandpa ate all the cookies. Grandpas are jerks too. Note, there are nine levels of mission sequences, each one more difficult than the last. We wish you luck in getting to the toughest level. You'll need it. Point values range from 50 points for gorfs and droids all the way up to 1,000 points for the flagship. Note that there are no point values for bombs and missiles destroyed by your laser fire. One to three missions completed gets you the rank of Space Cadet, 4 to 7 Space Captain, 8 to 11 Space Colonel, 12 to 15 Space General, 16 to 19 Space Warrior, 20 and up, you are a Space Avenger. And that is how you play Gorf. The Gorf arcade game was released in 81 by Midway. And the name was advertised as Galactic Orbiting Robot Force, which to me doesn't help because Gorf is a dumb name for a game. I've seen some games with some dumb names, but this one's pretty bad. It just even kind of feels weird to say it. Gorf. Gorf. My tongue doesn't even like to do that. Gorf. Gorf. Now, someone's going to write in and tell me there's not a whole lot of tongue action. Well, that's a dangerous phrase. There's not a whole lot of tongue movement when you say Gorf. But it just, making my mouth form that word just feels weird. Apparently the arcade game, which I don't think I've ever played, also has synthesized speech, powered, uh, powered by the Vortrax speech chip. If anyone's familiar with the uh, arcade game, let me know. The video game critic gave the game a C rating. Gorf distinguished itself in the arcades with its five games and one design, but it was some cutting-edge voice synthesis that really grabbed gamers' attention. My name is Gorf. I wish CBS had incorporated the voice into this Atari version because it would have spiffed up, it would have spiced up the otherwise lackluster shooting experience. Four out of five stages have been retained for the home version. Galaxian is gone. I think I said that one of the levels kind of reminds me of Galaxian. I guess I still hold to that, but I think I even said earlier it's not like it's a lot like Galaxian, but it, I couldn't think of anything else to compare it to. I would be curious to see what the actual Galaxian-inspired level looks like. All in all, this is a lukewarm effort that will just barely provide your daily recommended allowance of GORF. GameFacts.com said that the pros include seemingly a good test of dexterity and finesse, very familiar gameplay, decent controls. The cons are contrived, unoriginal premise, grows repetitive quickly, can only move horizontally, average visuals and sound. Bottom line, if you want a sci-fi themed arcade style shooter for the Atari 2600 with a variety of stages, I'd opt for Phoenix instead of GORF. Gorf is clearly a ripoff of several other games of the space shooter genre. To the unfamiliar, it might seem like your creative game since instead of the same stage repeat, repeated indefinitely, it's four different stages repeated indefinitely. But bec just because a game is of that Sisyphus nature doesn't make it bad. Just like the huge success of Space Invaders and Pac-Man. However, a game must be genuinely interesting and challenging to be fun. Gorf comes extremely close, but not close enough to cross from average to great. Alright, well we'll see about that. Because, in a minute... We're going to try it out. We're going to steep ourselves in some gorf. After the break, prepare to gorge yourself on gorf. Please play responsibly. From the file of things with weird names, like... Mondegreen, which according to the internet is what you call misheard song lyrics, or Morton's Toe, which is the name for when you have a longer second toe than a big toe, or Bob, 
which is the name of a guy we all know. We're playing this week Gorf, which I'm tempted to say is a game that has nothing to do with Gorf, except I don't know what Gorf is. So let's just play it. All right, mission one, just straight up Space Invaders. not a big fan of the you can only fire one bullet at a time thing and if you try to fire more they disappear the aliens pretty much look like space invaders aliens I'm about to lose because I spent too much time talking to you I have failed my mission so I get to go on to the next mission the laser thing This is the level that reminds me a little bit of Galaxian, though not quite. I'm really doing badly. Alright, mission three. Space warp, I think. This is the hardest one, in my opinion. My ship looks pretty good. It reminds me a little bit of the Enterprise, but not exactly. Also reminds me, in that vein, of V'ger from Star Trek The Motion Picture for no reason at all. It's a noisy game, if nothing else. Alright, I made it to Mission 4, which I don't remember the name of. Oh, this is the one... This is the Star Wars finale mission, where you have to shoot the giant ship right in the exact spot, which I am so far not doing. Oops, I got one guy left. Stay on target. Ow. I have failed. Oh well. I guess Luke Skywalker will have to continue to carry the water for all of us other failed heroes. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, Very Short Stories Inspired by Old Games and Odd Thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about Gorf. Gorf is a title I'd heard of 
for I'd heard the name of for years, but I never knew what it was. And I bought the cartridge. I don't even remember when. I bought it a while ago. Might have got it at Midwest Gaming Closet. Doesn't really matter. And I brought it home and I plugged it in today. And I still don't really know what it is. It's a you know it's a mishmash of different style shooters. And there's nothing really cohesive about it. There's no reason why it needs to be that. It could pick a style and just stick with it. So, and maybe that would have been better. Maybe they spread themselves too thin by trying to plug so many styles into this game. I don't know. Having said that, I kind of liked it. I thought it looked okay. I, it was a little frustrating. You know, the whole, you can only go horizontal. Um, if you shoot a bullet and then shoot another bullet right away, the first one disintegrates. It did kind of feel like you couldn't go all the way across even the horizontal movement. You felt a little boxed in. But, you know, part of it's Space Invaders. I like Space Invaders. And the other parts, the other levels were weird, but they were kind of challenging. So I don't really have any complaints. Maybe if I sat there and played it all afternoon, I'd get bored with it. But pulling it out once in a while and playing it, I, I think I could see doing that. And I was, you know, I was entertained well enough. It's story time on Atari Bytes. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story, really kind of bad poem slash stream of consciousness. Nah, it's not, not really a, forget that, it's not really a stream of consciousness. Poem slash musings, whatever this is this week, is titled The Final Moment Before Oblivion, or whatever actually comes next. Staring into the face, or the chasm, or the void of total destruction. What would I think about? I guess I'd like to say I'd think about my family. But really, I'm not sure I would. That's not narcissism. It's practicality. I'd like to think they'd take comfort in knowing I spent that last moment still trying to figure out how to get out of that last moment without being destroyed. But I guess that didn't work out so well, did it? Sorry. But is that really what I'd do? Maybe I'd wish for more moments. But is that against the rules? Is it like how the genie says you can't wish for more wishes? Would I spend the final moment wondering what comes after the final moment? Seems a little late then, doesn't it? Besides, I stopped wondering about that a long time ago. Whatever there is, it's coming, whether I think about it or not. But maybe I'd spend that final moment wondering if the end of the moment will hurt. But do I really want to know? Whoever is in charge of such things would probably tell me what I wanted to hear. And that would probably be a lie, like when your parents tell you that a vaccination or a blood test won't hurt. I might spend the last moment berating an underling, even if it wasn't her fault. I hope not, but I might. Even at the end, some people can't accept their own failures. Maybe I'd spend the last moment wondering what I did wrong. Or right. Today or ever. That'd be fun. You know what would suck? If I didn't know the last moment was the last moment. That seems unfair, but it's far more common, I suppose. Just going about your life, then nothing. Life is unfair, after all. Life is also an a-hole, much of the time. Would I leave a final message for the survivors, like in a movie set after an alien invasion? 
one of those grainy videos with the weary bearded dude surrounded by devastation, warning the movie's hero about the fate which befell this world? No, I don't think I would. Here's why. After aliens decimate Earth, internet service would probably be awful. What would I say? Sorry, we totally choked on the fighting the aliens thing. I'd feel bad enough when I'm alive about the mess I'm leaving. Let me not have to feel bad about it posthumously. If I'm dead, I want to be remembered in a happier moment. I think dead people deserve that. Well, most of them. I don't mean I'd spend the final moment telling jokes, or passing out candy, or cash. Just that I'd like to spend that final moment not degrading all the moments that came before. Maybe I'd nod politely, stand and let my second-in-command have a seat. Hell, maybe I'd take a bow at that final curtain call. We gather all of our stuff, all of our friends and our family, and we know someday we'll leave it all behind. Can't take it with you, right? But in the end, all that other stuff goes somewhere else anyway, and all we really leave behind is a memory. I'd like mine to be a good one. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for creative commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Tortney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, but make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts, which is not in its final moments, presumably. It's alive and well and waiting for a review of this show so that the show-promoting algorithm will attack the potential listeners, politely, with the awesomeness that is this show. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also look us up on Instagram. Now you can call and leave us a voicemail too, 563-265-1978, and leave us a message about any damn thing you want. Please consider supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. We have new tiers, new stuff you can get. You can get episodes early. You can get bonus episodes. Cool stuff over there. Go check it out. Maybe uh, consider a little donation to help keep the lights on here in the podcast studio. You can also pick up shirts and mugs in the AB underscore pod underscore store on Zazzle.com, which is an upcoming project uh, to revamp as well. If you have ideas for things you would like to see on a shirt or a mug or some other item, let me know. Check out the new website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. Info about this podcast and it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. There are links to social media, episodes, show information. There's stuff over there about books I've written and how you can buy them. You know, by the time you hear this, maybe there are, you know, cheesecake recipes, pictures of puppies. Who knows what might be over there? Go check it out. Speaking of my other podcast, it's called It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. And it's for all you people out there who love Snoopy. You love Snoopy. Come on. And even if you don't, heartless, non-Snoopy lover, you know someone who does. On that podcast, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, on the 15th of every month, we talked about all things related to Peanuts. Not just Snoopy. We got all the other characters. Charlie Brown, Linus, Woodstock, Peppermint Patty. We talked about the comic strip, certainly. We talked about the TV specials, the movies, the merchandise, the mind of Charles Schultz himself, the cartoonist who created it all. We've had interviews with graphic artists, authors, playwrights. We had a guy who wrote a graphic novel about 
reimagining the Peanuts characters as adults in a dystopian wasteland. We had an interview with Brad Keston, who did the voice of Charlie Brown in a bunch of Peanuts specials and TV shows in the 80s. We do all sorts of cool stuff over there, and you should go check it out. Thanks in advance. Shout out to my patrons. I mentioned the Patreon project earlier. Michael Tyler and G-Ray Defender. You guys are mega excellent. You can join them. Just go over to the Patreon page, Atari Bytes, and make a donation. Thanks in advance for that as well. All right. Next time on Atari Bytes. Gangster Alley. Maybe it's a bowling alley for criminals? I don't know. But whatever it is, I'm going to be really sad if it's not a bowling alley for criminals. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.